0: I'm the Communications Coordinator at GOECO. Our mission is to be an advocate for the environment, a centre for learning and a catalyst for change. This month you'll be hearing from different members of our team who will tell you about the awesome work they do. Last week our Predator Free community organisers Karen and Harvey told us about the story of New Zealand animals and some fun facts about the Pika Pika Taurua. You can listen to that episode on your favourite podcast platform and then pop into GoEco, 188 Commerce Street in Frankton, or shop online, shop.goeco.org.nz to start your backyard trapping. This week, our Learning and Development Coordinator, Anna, will talk about the intersections of food rescue and food security before our manager, Joe, sets out a vision of a food sovereign Waikato. But first, it's Conservation Week, or Te Wiki Tiaki Ao Turoa. And we have a media release to share with you. It's boom time for the bird of the year. The chance to champion not only an endangered bird but wetland ecosystems is an opportunity too good to miss for Go Eco. 164 species of New Zealand's native birds are currently at risk of extinction. Wanting to help take the Matuku, or as Australasian bittern off the list, as Go Eco who have made an early announcement of their bird of the year contender to coincide with Conservation Week to Tiaki O tūroa. Last year they promoted the North Island kokako, but this year decided to champion a relatively unknown species, of which there are possibly fewer than 700. The notoriously elusive matuku, or Australasian bittern, is so good at being undercover that it's proving difficult to find and track. Matuku usually live deep in dense wetlands, camouflage well with reeds, and hold a freeze pose if they hear a disturbance. The biggest threat to the matuku is habitat loss. 90% of our freshwater wetlands have been drained since colonisation, and alongside water degradation and introduced predators, we find ourselves at a point where researchers are considering whether matuku are starving to death, being unable to sustain their diet. The Whangamarino wetland in the Waikato district is a significant breeding site for the Matuku. It is 7,000 hectares, the second largest freshwater wetland in the North Island and an international Ramsar site for ecological significance. The Department of Conservation has also included it in its Arawai Kakariki Wetland Restoration Programme. We know the Mataku doesn't have bright colours or a beautiful singing voice, but is critically endangered and we can see it as an indicator of wetland health, which is an important conversation to be having in the Wakato. While the Mataku may not be renowned for its song, it has been nicknamed the Boomer for the male's distinctive mating call. Fellow bitten advocate Margaret Jenkins recalls I first heard the call of the bittern when I was about 9 or 10 years old. We were out exploring the farmland when we heard the boom, boom noise. Then we saw it, ever so still, as if listening for a very distant reply, or perhaps gifting us with its call. 60 years on, I still recall that distinctive boom, boom sound because it was so different from any other bird I had heard. I love that memory because it is also attached to an elusive and very private creature which has managed somehow to survive against the odds of losing most of its habitat. 60 years on from now, I would like others to have that special memory. Recent winners of the hotly contested, often contentious, bird of the year competition are the Kākāpō, Hoiho, Kiriru, Kia and North Island Kōkako. The competition started in 2005 and seeks to raise awareness of the plight of our native birds. Voting for the bird of the Year, Te nui o Te Tau, opens on Monday the 18th of October, running until Sunday the 31st of October 2021. For campaign updates, head to Facebook, Vote Forbidden. Now, I'll hand it over to Anna to talk about food rescue and security.
1: There is a Māori fakatoki that suggests a pathway towards food security or everyone having enough to live a flourishing life. Naku teroro na u teroero ka ora ai te iwi With your basket and my basket we will sustain everyone This fakatoki encapsulates the value of sharing It is the distribution and sharing of resources or wealth that is critical if we are to achieve food security for everyone in Aotearoa New Zealand But according to the United Nations it's more than that achieving food security is going to take a profound change of the global food and agricultural system goeco agrees with this just this week our coevolution team was marvelling at the mayonnaise that arrived in bucket loads originally from richmond virginia in the usa and the pickles or sandwich stackers that we have been distributing originally from india it's not like we can't whip up our own eggs and vinegar or pickle our own cucumbers But these are the crazy realities of the global food system. In Aotearoa access to food results from a diverse range of activities including transactions made through markets such as purchasing food from shops and alternative markets like bartering or swapping. Food access also results from state allocations, work and income grants for example, foraging, customary food practices such as the collection of kaimoana, cleaning which is the picking or remaining of remaining crops after harvest, gardening and gifting or charity transactions. The work of the United Nations with regards to food security is framed around the Sustainable Development Goals. New Zealand is a signatory to these goals, one of which is to end hunger, achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. Ending hunger, the UN maintains, is about improving access to safe and nutritious food and ensuring That the development of sustainable food production systems by supporting small-scale food producers. Food security is defined as being sustained access to sufficient food for an active, healthy life, without having to resort to emergency supplies or socially unacceptable coping strategies. We are a long way off from achieving this globally and in Aotearoa New Zealand. The latest state of food security and nutrition in the World 2020 report estimated that almost six hundred and ninety million people went hungry in twenty nineteen, up by ten million from twenty eighteen and by nearly sixty million in five years. We're not tracking in the right direction and our goal of ending hunger is far off. And COVID nineteen Has exacerbated an already dire situation. People are going hungry in Aotearoa, New Zealand, even though New Zealand produces enough food to feed 40 million people. Almost 40% of adults and 19% of children in New Zealand don't have enough food. This reality has spurred recent calls for the country to feed the 5 million first. Auckland University of Technology, Emeritus. Professor Elaine Rush said she had seen New Zealand fruit and vegetables sold cheaper in Britain than they were here. Elaine Elaine says that we are exporting high nutrient proteins and fat and importing foods and these aren't great from a nutrition standpoint like carbohydrates and sugars. This is some of the food that we are seeing through Kyvolution. Think mayonnaise and sandwich stackers for example. Food charity is not the basis of food security. Proceeds from Kyvolution or Food Rescue are distributed through charity networks, but in no way does our work provide sustained access to food. It can fill some gaps, but it's not the foundation of food security. My manager Joe reflects the following, we see the creep that merges food banks, food rescue and food security and we need to be clear that at best food banks and food rescue provide relief from hunger for a few hours or assist families experiencing low incomes and high debt to stretch a budget. We have spent decades wondering why more and more people are seeking assistance. However, the evidence is clear. One of the main drivers of food insecurity or hunger in Aotearoa is a lack of resources. Nationally, there has been concerted calls for increases not only in wages through the Living Wage Movement, but also for welfare increases through the campaign Fairer Future. We need an urgent increase in the resources that are available to families and no to livable levels, and it's vital that the way the resources are delivered is in a fair and timely manner, upholding the dignity and mana of everyone seeking help. As Save the Children New Zealand's advocacy and research director Jackie Southey says, nearly three years on from the 2019 Welfare Expert Advisory Group's recommendations designed at restoring dignity to social security in Aotearoa, some whanau are still facing the same problems and hurdles when trying to access support. Alongside this, and something that Joe will talk about, is the very important need to develop food sovereignty. We, if we return to the Fakatoki I started with, na kū na u te raurau, ka ora ai te iwi, we can't look to a colonial system to address the issues of food insecurity. Profound change is required. So for us at GoEco, food security we believe will only be achieved through attention to food sovereignty. Food sovereignty movements emphasise that unlike food security, food sovereignty is about placing the control of food back into the local communities. There is an historical link between poor Māori health and food insecurity that can be traced to early colonial policies and laws. Since the signing of Te Tiriti o Waitangi in 1840, evidence has shown that state legislated policies have largely ignored and neglected the interests and well-being of Māori cultural values, customs and health. Legislatively, the dispossession of Māori from their land and culture was further intensified through acts such as the Native Schools Act 1858, the Suppression of Rebellion Act in 1863, the Native Reserves Act in 1864, the Māori Representation Act in 1867 and the Tohanga Suppression Act in 1907. New Zealand's current political health and social systems derive from a history imposed by a colonial principles of land segmentation, privatisation and individual inheritable titles. If we are serious about achieving f- food security, there are some important intermediary steps like increasing wages and benefits. But ultimately, the control of food needs to be placed back with local communities and Māori hapū. And this is part of our kaupapa at Goiko and why we support the food growing movements in our community. We tow Tuku, Winona Laduk, an internationally renowned activist who's working on issues of sustainable development, Uh, renewable energy and food systems, and she says that a recovery of the people is tied to the recovery of food. So putting those food systems back into the hands of our local communities is really important if we are ultimately going to achieve uh, food security.
0: In your eye Has you so very blind But now who else comes down on you Your heart and your puff Just to try
2: I hope you enjoyed that, it was called No More Cows, an awesomely sardonic release by Harry Platt, available to purchase on Bandcamp. Today I want to talk a little about the concept of food sovereignty. I think food sovereignty as elevated climate action. The IPCC report chapter on food security is clear that climate adaption and mitigation requires nations to produce more food where it's needed. The strangest thing is that in New Zealand, we produce more food than we need. Yet we've not attained either food security or food sovereignty. I think this quote sums up a global sovereignty and its place as a localised solution to food security and climate adaption. Food sovereignty is the right of each nation to maintain and develop its own capacity to produce its basic foods, respecting cultural and productive diversity. That's from Campesina in 1996. Work on defining food sovereignty has been going on for more than 20 years now, to my knowledge, possibly longer, probably a good 30. Food sovereignty became an issue internationally and globally, of course, as part of industrial and global food takeover and the loss of indigenous food knowledge. Ultimately, a system of food sovereignty prioritises local economies, the very economies that existed when settlers arrived in Aotearoa. These made food unavailable through trade, fed entire communities and then traded the abundance. It's a model of food redistribution that reduces the need for that tin tuna caught here and shipped to Thailand to be processed and then wrapped in an environmentally lethal containment of tin and plastic before being shipped back to a port in New Zealand, before being loaded onto trucks and transported around the entire country to be sold at supermarkets to people who cannot afford the freshly caught tuna in the first place. Food sovereignty focuses on food for people, localizing food growing systems, knowledge and and skill development. It's an intersectional model of environmental health, social equity and cultural integrity that places food as an essential human right and abundance as an opportunity. (coughs) Abundant healthy food systems do not produce waste. We have convinced ourselves that some plastic and all tin and aluminium can be recycled so therefore it's all good. In the same way we have convinced ourselves that industrialised farming, monocropping and intensive agriculture can be mitigated by an emissions trading scheme and fencing. Food sovereignty takes a closer look at the systems that produce food, who produces the food and the environmental impact of the food. This definition from the People's Food Sovereignty Network some work done in 2002, is an example of the depth and breadth of the work needed to gain food sovereignty. Food sovereignty is the right of peoples to define their own food and agriculture, to protect and regulate domestic agricultural production and trade in order to achieve sustainable development objectives to determine the extent to which they want to be self-reliant to restrict the dumping the dumping of products in their markets and to provide local fisheries based communities the priority in managing the use of the rights to aquatic resources Food sovereignty does not negate trade, but rather it promotes the formulation of trade policies and practices that serve the rights of people to safe, healthy and ecologically sustainable production. So it's a really big sentence, but pretty much what I take from that is that it means that It enhances the right of people to determine how they want their food to be grown, where it is to be grown, and who um, describes and and supports an ecologically sustainable method of growing and prioritising those things as part of a basis for forming trade policies. I really like that food sovereignty is an act of resistance. It's an act that acknowledges the near destruction of indigenous food systems and seeks to support the rebuilding of these, both for local security and for climate action. The pursuit of climate adaptation and resilience means that we must question models of power, ownership, labour and our relationships with land and environments. All food production and indigenous food gathering practices require access to land, clean water and biodiverse ecosystems. This means that if we want to grow an ecologically sustainable food system, we have to reflect on land ownership models, the consequences of colonialism and the ways our food systems are placed within systems of power that continue through our well-embedded settler colonialism. I'm really comfortable talking about settler colonialism because it's a fact of our history, not only here in New Zealand, but you can see the impact of that on Indigenous communities um, in a global setting. Every element of this conversation is uncomfortable It challenges our settler version of history, our class version of power and moves our belief that possession and possessing more is how we value and place people in society. So the next time you are picking the abundance from your fruit trees or gifting it to a free store or patika kai and you recommend that a friend or neighbour does the same, take a moment to remember that this is not a donation it is redistributing abundance. It is a small resistance to the commodification of food, and it is climate action that has a very, very real impact on our combined futures.
0: That was Joe Regley, manager of Go Eco, and before that, Anna Casey Cox, learning and development coordinator, to talk about moving towards a food sovereign Waikato. Go Eco are a not-for-profit environment hub. You can find out more about our work on social media or by heading to our website, goeco.org.nz or popping into our Environment Hub in Frankton. Join us again next week when Michael and Sarita will talk about their work as community organisers in our KAI team. Ka kite